Okay, how many of you know what today is? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody want to say what today is? Okay, try again. The 14th, we're getting closer. Anybody? Thank you very much. Finally, somebody that's cooperating with the program here. Now, I've got two questions for you. First of all, what are you doing here? And secondly, how many of you can be sleeping on the couch tonight because you're here instead of somewhere else? I, I knew I would have a taker on that one. It is Valentine's Day, a day that uh, during the year that we celebrate love. And I find that kind of interesting. A day when... Um, we talk about caring for each other and loving each other and all of that mush and gush that goes with that. And yet it is probably the one day out of all the days in the year that guys get in more trouble for not doing what they're supposed to do at the right time. You understand that, don't you? I saw on MSN just the other day, and the title said, this is a website, it says, Are You a Procrastinova? You get the idea here. I had to click on the link. And I clicked on the link, and it was a link to all of these places that you could order something at the last minute, and it'd get there on time. I mean, I'm talking about you can order stuff like 15 minutes ago, and they'll get it to them before midnight tonight. So you can say that, you, guys, this is where you need to go. Go back to your computers, look on the MSN, it's right there. I, I, find, it, I find it humorous. As a matter of fact, I had to go to Walmart before I came here. And I find it humorous to go past the card aisle on Valentine's Day. And, and I'm talking about, I went to Walmart, it was um, about 6.30, I guess, when I went through there. And I saw like 20 guys crowded in this aisle picking over these cards. They were already picked over trying to find that perfect card to take home to, to the sweetheart to say, I was thinking about you, baby. <laughs> Love is a funny thing, isn't it? It will turn a great, big, strong, strapping man into a babbling idiot. It will make a teenager take a shower. You ever thought about that? It has inspired love songs and started wars. It takes perfectly sane human beings and makes us do the weirdest things. Do you remember your first true love? Can you think back to that time? I remember, you know, when I was in the, in the fifth grade, it was, I actually had two, Mary and Francis, but that was really an infatuation. That wasn't true love. My first true love was in the sixth grade when I had truly arrived. And about three months into the year, Mary arrived on campus. Now, I don't know what it is about Mary's in my past, but they just happened to show up. But Mary was this cute little girl. And all the guys that uh, were on campus wanted to be Mary's boyfriend. You know, I discovered later why that, that Mary was a preacher's kid, and it, it made sense to me later on as I became a preacher myself why Mary moved to campus three months into the year. But she was a cute thing. We all, she was a talk amongst the guys. Everybody wanted to be her boyfriend, and it wasn't too long into the year that I heard that Mary liked me. That was a pretty good deal. You know, I, I didn't have to do too much maneuvering, and here Mary likes me, and I was feeling pretty good about things. And, and, and so her friend told my friend, who told me, that Mary liked me. So I said, oh, okay, that's a pretty good idea. 
And I, I don't know how many of you were doing this thing sixth grade in about, you know, 1969, 1970, 71, wherever that was back in those days. But in those days, we went steady with one another if we were a thing. You know, th today they've got the language messed up. They talk about going out, and that means the same thing as we meant back then about going steady. And if you go steady with somebody, you give them what? Your ID bracelet. You remember those? Yeah, some, some of you are connecting here. You know, the little silver. Now, for those of you that are too young to remember this, I'm sorry. You're going you're gonna to catch on here in just a minute. But is this, is this silver or gold bracelet that the guys would have? It would have our name on it. And when we had a special girl, we would give our bracelet to that special girl. It was the closest thing to being engaged without being engaged. And so I gave my bracelet to my friend, and my friend gave my bracelet to her friend, and her friend gave my bracelet to Mary, and for two solid, glorious weeks, we went steady. I never talked to her, <laughs> never held her hand, never walked with her in the hall, never called her, and, and I guess Mary finally got tired of, of this exciting relationship, so two weeks later, here comes my bracelet. Mary gives it to her friend, her friend gives it to my friend, my friend gives it to me, and I'm heartbroken. My first true love has ended. Love is a funny thing, isn't it? The text that we're going to look at tonight is in the, the 21st chapter of John. It is a familiar text to us, a, a familiar story. The heading in the, in the NIV simply says that Jesus reinstates Peter. It is the last encounter that's recorded in John between Jesus and the disciples before his ascension. And at the center of this encounter is this question that is addressed to Peter and, and a question that I would like for us to ask ourselves tonight. This question that Jesus asks, do you love me more than anything else? Do you truly love me? John 21 verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, I, I want you to imagine the scene for just a moment. We have to back up just a little bit at the beginning of chapter 21. We find Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and a couple of unnamed disciples. And depending on how you, you land in terms of the authorship of John, we understand that one of those disciples is most likely the beloved disciple, the, the writer of the Gospel of John. And we find them kind of, of just hanging out, just kind of being there. And I imagine that they were thinking over the events of the last few days. Now, now remember, when we enter into this chapter, we're on the tail end of the arrest and crucifixion and, and resurrection and the subsequent appearance of Jesus to the disciples. 
And it is into this, this context that these disciples are sitting around, kind of stirring around what's been happening. And I imagine that they were, were talking over the events, still uncertain as to what all of those events meant to them, it meant for them, still uncertain of, of, of the, the, the things that had taken place with Jesus, uh, uh, his, his arrest and, and the, the scattering of the disciples, especially Peter, who had, who had fulfilled that prophecy in chapter 13 where Peter said, you will deny me. And Peter says in the middle of this, let's go fishing. Sounds like a pretty good idea, doesn't it? I mean, why not? We're not doing anything else. We may as well just go out and fish. And the scripture says that they fish all night and they catch absolutely nothing. Kind of sounds like some of my fishing trips. I, I go fishing, I catch a sunburn, and that's about it. And the next morning, Jesus is on the shore. They don't recognize him at first. He calls out to them and says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. I always find this is kind of an, an interesting encounter. I sure wish that we had the whole thing and all the details filled in because I'm thinking, you know, here you got Peter and, and these guys who are professional fishermen. They've been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. I'm sure that they thought to, to cast their net on the other side of the boat. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to fish over here all night long, don't catch anything, but I'm going to fish over here on the other side of the boat, and then Jesus walks up. They really don't know who he is yet. He says, cast your nets over here. Well, they decided, that eh, won't hurt. Let's try it. They throw their net over here. Scripture says that they had so many fish in their net that they couldn't pull it in. It is interesting to me that Jesus' first encounter with these disciples and his last encounter with these disciples, that the disciples are doing the same thing. They are fishing. You remember in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes along this, uh, the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter, the other disciple, or who are to become disciples, doing their thing. They are fishermen, so they are fishing, mending their nets, doing the things associated with fishing. He calls them to be disciples, and he says, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then you find them here doing the same thing. Now, I, I don't know the significance of this, but I do find it interesting that we tend to return to the familiar when things are uncertain in our lives. We tend to, to gravitate back to the thing that we can see the most, that we can understand the most when we meet crisis. These disciples were back doing what they knew best. They, they, were, they were fishing. And I suppose the question that arises for us this evening is what familiar thing do we turn to when we meet crisis in our own lives? When we're dealing with the issues of life. And for some, I suppose, we identify harmful behavior like drug or alcohol abuse or sexual addictions, things that we, that we tend to retreat ourselves into in order to mask the pain that we are experiencing are for others perhaps less harmful things, but really with no real answer. Maybe you find your answer on Oprah, I don't know. Or perhaps Dr. Phil. Or more than likely it is to retreat into ourselves in a sense of depression, or maybe our work. Anything to mask ourselves from the pain that we are experiencing and the uncertainty of life. But the question remains in all of this, what or who do we turn to in the time of crisis? What is the natural response to, uh, for us? I was listening to our minister of music 
Sunday at uh, Trinity Church, and every now and then he'll kick into a kind of a mini-sermon. Uh, you remember Sunday morning. And, and he, was, uh, he had chosen for the day songs about trust and, and, and putting our trust in God and things like that. And in the midst of this, he, he stopped and he, and he said, uh, what about us? What about you? You know what I'm talking about when, when, when you've got that thing kind of hanging around in the back of your mind, whatever it is that you're, you're tossing around and worrying about. So you go to bed and you're stirring these, these issues around and they're troubling you and perhaps you fall asleep and 2 o'clock in the morning you wake up and it's right there at the, the front of your mind and your heart's pounding. You can't go to sleep. And you stir it around and 2.30 and 3 o'clock passes and and then 3.30 and 4, and you're watching the clock, wishing that, that you could somehow go to sleep. And then 4.30, finally, oh, God. Oh, God. And, you know, as I was listening to him, I, I, I thought to myself, what, what if we had started at 2 o'clock that morning saying, oh, God. Or maybe if we had started with, oh, God, when we went to sleep. Or maybe if we were at the, oh, God place when we first were stirring around this issue for ourselves. You see, what is it that we turn to? Or perhaps the better question is, who do we turn to in our time of crisis? Well, let's go back to the story. The disciples realize that it's Jesus there on the shore. They haul the fish in. Jesus just happens to have a fire going on, on the, uh, the shores there. He invites them to come and have breakfast. They throw some fish on the fire. I always thought it was kind of weird they'd be eating fish for breakfast, but, you know, my kids eat tacos for breakfast, so I guess you could have fish for breakfast. But, but these guys have this breakfast, and in verse 13 it says that Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. I, I, I kind of find this reminiscent of the feeding of the 5,000. There's probably a message there somewhere. And then we get to the text that we're looking at tonight. And I get the sense here that what Jesus has been doing all, the, all along is leading up to this point. That the fish, the fire, the, 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 the telling them where to fish, the breakfast, everything that they've been doing so far is to bring them to this encounter. And he asks Peter this question three times. Do you love me more than these? Now there's an interesting twist to this question that we miss in the English translation. And, and if you don't understand it, I, I think that you miss the focus of this passage. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know that I love you. In the English, it just seems to be the same. But those of you who have had the wonderful experience of making it through biblical interpretation and have had the great experience of writing exegetical papers for all of these, uh, these Bible professors know that there is something else going on behind the text that you've got to understand. You see, Jesus asked the question, and he, when he says, do you love me, he uses the term agape. And then when Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he uses the term phileo. Interesting, isn't it? We don't really see it in the English translation. And so the encounter goes something like this. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape love me more than these? And Peter says, well, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, did you just hear what I said? You know, let, let's see if we can connect here, Peter. Listen closely. 
So Peter, Jesus says again, Peter, do you agape, do you love me more than these? And Peter says again, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo, I love you. And then Jesus asks a third time, and this is kind of interesting because there's a twist here. The third time, Jesus uses the term phileo as well. We're going to get back to that in just a minute. So Jesus says to Peter, do you phileo, do you love me more than these? Peter says, and it, the scripture says that he is hurt, he's incensed, which I find kind of interesting. I mean, the guy has just rejected Jesus, gone wandering off with other, all the other disciples in Jesus' greatest need. I mean, I think the, the question was fair. But Peter says, come on, Jesus. You know that I phileo, that I love you. Now, Again, we need to understand what's going on here. Here, Jesus and Peter are using the same word in English and yet meaning something different as they are talking to each other. You see, phileo refers to a love between two people. It can be a love between a husband and wife, between uh, two brothers, to, between good friends. It expresses a kind of deep relationship that is shared by two people who have bonded with one another. It's a good thing. It is the expression of love that we have for one another. I, I can say I love you to just about anybody here and be speaking phileo to you. I can be saying that. Agape, on the other hand, is the love of volition. It's the love of choice. It says that I choose to love you even when you aren't lovable. And it has its foundation in the very nature of God. It is, agape is, is the love that most accurately describes the nature of God and his expression of love to us. In 1 John 8, John says that God is love. Does it say he looks like love, or he's kind of like love, or he expresses love? It says that he is love. It's, it's the very nature of who he is. In verse 10, he says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. When he says, love is patient and kind, it does not envy or boast, it's not proud, rude, self-seeking, easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, it rejoices in truth, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. And I don't know about you, but every time I read that list, I say, what in the world are you talking about? Because I have a hard time connecting with that. That list of descriptors of what love is. You see, quite frankly, this is a love that we cannot attain apart from the infilling of God's love in us. We can't do it. And you see, here's, here's the rub. I get the impression here that, that, that what's happening in this encounter between Jesus and, and Peter is that there is an invitation by Jesus to Peter to enter into this kind of relationship. What he is trying to get through to him is, Peter, do you hear what I'm saying? He, he understood his humanity. He understood his weakness. He understood what he was facing and, and the critical issues that were going on. And he says, if you're going to make it in this life, you've got to reach beyond something else than the, just this human love that we've been talking about. That Jesus and Peter, that, that we are so tight that, that their lives are so intertwined, that the commitment is so deep, that Jesus' nature and Peter's nature, that God's nature and our nature are so enmeshed with one another that when the trials of life come, it is to him that we turn because it is the most natural thing in the entire world that we would do. You see where he's going with this? 
you see, Jesus is, is, is asking us, do you commit yourself absolutely and totally and fundamentally and wholeheartedly every part of your being to me? That is the nature of agape. Now, there's a problem with this text that I haven't quite figured out. You see, Jesus does this agape, agape, phileo thing. I talked to Dr. Powers about this at, at faculty retreat. We always have some topic that we debate during faculty retreat. While everybody else retreats, we debate theology and the Bible and stuff like that. Dr. Powers and I go way back so we can mess with each other a lot like this. I kind of tossed some things around with him. Uh, to tell you the truth, he didn't have an answer. Can you believe that? Dr. Powers didn't have an answer. <laughs> the only thing he, uh, he told me, he says, that, that you just have to make sure that you tell them that, that what you're saying is not the only way that this can be interpreted. So I've told you that. Okay? So now I'm going to tell you what I believe is being said here. You see, you get the sense. I, 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 was, I was grappling with this whole thing, this agape, agape, phileo thing. And I'm wondering, why in the world are, are they do, is he doing this? And I get the sense because of the progression that what Jesus is saying is that phileo proceeds out of agape. That you cannot properly love each other phileo until first you have encountered agape here with God. And unfortunately, I think what has happened in our world is that we've kind of got this thing flipped around. There's another term in the Greek that is translated love. It's the term eros. We get the, 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 uh, the English word erotic from it. It has to do with sensual or sexual love. In our world today, we base everything in eros and phileo. We forget about agape. And we think that that is the foundation of, of, of love. And that's why we have such trouble in our relationships today. Because you see, whether it's eros or phileo is based upon some kind of sense of, of belonging with that other person. And when that belonging is gone, when the person doesn't look as good as they used to be, when, when you've grown old and, and, and you've got more parts that you've taken off your body and putting it on the nightstand beside you, you know, you just don't have a whole lot left to love anymore. And it's that time, it is that time that agape is at the center of who we are in our relationships. Well, there's, there's one last part to this that I, I want us to grab hold of before we quit. You see, Jesus ended each one of these, the, this question and answer cycles with this, this admonition to Peter where he says, feed my sheep. And in verse 21, I kind of get the sense that he, he sums it all up and he just simply says, follow me. And I don't know that Jesus is making a, a distinction between the initial evangelistic call to be fishers of men and, and hear the pastoral directive to, be, to, to, to feed sheep. But I think this is encompassed right here in this final verse where he just says, follow me. And, and this is for us, for, for those of you that are sitting here tonight who have been called by God to the, do this ministry. I want to make something clear, and I think what Jesus is saying to us here is that you cannot do in this world what God has called you to until you first have had this encounter with him. You understand what I'm saying? P Peter went through this whole thing, this life with, with Jesus and and, and if you get back to, to chapter 13, uh, Peter is saying, Jesus, you know, you and I are tight. Uh, it doesn't matter what happens, uh, I'm on your side. 
I'll fight to the death for you. But we know what happened. We, we've seen the story, haven't we? And, and that story is our story apart from this encounter with God. Th this agape that has so filled us, this absolute, total devotion to God. You know, I, I think... I think that the teens have it right here. I pastored for about 18 years before coming to the Bible College. And um, there were plenty of times when I saw teenagers come to the altar. And then you go to teen camp, and it doesn't matter if it's day one, day three, day seven, day 20. They'll come to the altar every night because they know that it's just for them. And, and I, I, I began seeing something, and, and I realized that as we grow older, somebody tells us along the way that the altar doesn't belong to us anymore. You ever notice that? That you're saved and you're sanctified and you've done your thing with God at the altar, and, and it's just a little bit too embarrassing to admit, to admit that, you know, I'm struggling with some issues here, and I just need to meet God one more time, one more time. I wonder this evening, as we come to this place once again, if perhaps we need to meet with God one more time. Just one more time. Peter had walked with Jesus the whole, his whole life. Or the, the times that, that, that Jesus was ministering and that encounter that they had. And yet at this particular point in time, he said, Peter, there's something more that you need to discover in your life if you're going to make it. And if you don't discover it, you won't make it at all. I'd like for us to close this evening. We're going to sing together. And, and i tell you what, um, Ellen, I, th I think I would like for us to sing once again, I love you, Lord. And, um, you know, I, I, just, I just want to leave this here for you. It's for you. And if you feel that you need to come and to say, God, I'm here, I don't know what it is. You know, maybe you're in the middle of classes and you can't figure this thing out. Maybe you're about to give up and go home. I don't know. Maybe you're still looking forward to ministry and you're thinking, right here is where we encounter God once again. Say, God, here it is. It's all yours, whatever it is. Let's stand together. I love you. I lift my voice to worship you, O oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what
are the body of Christ. And I know some of you would like to, to gather around and pray with friends, fellow journeyers, those who are on this path. I'm so glad that in the midst of school and all the challenges of education that we still have a time to meet with God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that is true. And I thank you, God, that we can encounter you in that word. And I suspect, Lord, that around this room there are those who are carrying a burden that is impossible to bear. And perhaps they've gotten past 2.30 or 3.30 or 4.30, they've moved into day three and day four, and month three and month four, and they're still carrying the burden. I pray tonight, Father, that this invitation from Jesus would be ours, and that right now, God, we would take everything that we have laid at your feet and to enter into that relationship with you in, in such power and magnitude that it is the most natural thing in all the world that we would be with you. Thank you, God. And now, Father, I pray your blessings upon each that, uh, person that is here. And may they sense your comfort and your presence in every aspect of their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.